thought-provoking stories, and insights from around the globe by your favorite athletes. This is the Athlete's Obsession, brought to you by Obsession. Welcome to this special edition of the Athlete's Obsession. During my time at Obsesh, I've had the opportunity to speak with some awesome people who share their talents on the platform. I've learned so much from them and their stories, and I decided to share some of my favorite moments that I got to spend with them so far. We'll start with Katara Umeda, a professional soccer player for Joinville in Brazil. Although he plays in Brazil, Katara is an Ohioan at heart, and he's used his platform to raise funds for United Way of Greater Cleveland. You wrote a book titled I'm With You. Why did you decide to write that book, and what did you learn from writing it? I think when, when my name pops up, a lot of people identify myself as an athlete, but I, I've always had other dreams outside of athletics. And one of those dreams was, was to become an author, was to publish my own book. I, I, I had the opportunity when I, when I first signed pro, I, 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 was, I was given a small platform, you know, and I wanted to use that platform for, for a good cause. And that's why I decided to write this book and, and accomplish this, this lifelong dream that I've had. And so that was just part of it. And now in writing a book, because that takes a whole lot of effort, especially when you're a professional athlete, what, what did you personally gain in terms of mentality from writing that book? It definitely makes you realize, it, it opens up your perspective, I think. You, you see things you didn't necessarily see. So, you know, when you're an athlete, you, you, you're constantly trying to improve yourself each and every day. So you're only looking forward. But by, right, my, by me, you know, going back in life and thinking about the struggles and, and the, the tough times that I've been through, it kind of helped me look back on the path that, that God's given me and, and realize, like, I've, I've came pretty far, you know. But at the same time, I didn't come this far to only come this far. But, you know, it was it kind of opened me up. It, it also gave me a lot of motivation. It also gave me a lot of, you know, faith, faith in myself and my family. And, and I, I loved the process. I loved it. Uh, another part of who you are besides the athlete is a voice of change for the Asian American community, especially here in the United States, back in Ohio, where you found a home. Why is it important to you to be that voice of change? I, I learned the hard way that, that everyone has a voice, but not a platform. So everyone has their own opinion, but not everyone's willing to listen to your opinion. And when, when I first went pro, I, I, I realized that like I said, I was given a, a very, very small platform, but I wanted to use that platform for, for a good cause. And, and with, the, with, the, with the rise in racism towards Asian Americans, it's, it's, it's something I can be empathetic for. Not, not only sympathetic, but I can be empathetic. And that was the biggest, biggest reason why I think I wanted to help my people, my community, and the people who raised me to become who I am today. And I thought it was, it was my duty to, to step up and be the, be the voice for my people. Yeah, why don't you tell the listeners about some of the, the latest efforts that you've been doing, especially back in, in Cleveland? Yeah, absolutely. I've had, the, I've had the privilege to become the brand ambassador for United Way of Greater Cleveland. And, and all my pro proceeds from my book have, have gone to United Way of Greater Cleveland to support racism and low-income families. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've been given the opportunity to, to help and touch individuals. And I think I'm, that's one of the greatest accomplishments in my, in my life, not only in my career, but in my life, I think. And, and I'm very happy and I'm, I'm proud of myself for that as well. 
Katara was an awesome role model for people where he's from, much like Olympic volleyball player Lena Taylor. Lena's constant persistence helped her to become the first athlete in the history of Bulgaria to receive a scholarship to play a sport at an American university. How did the process work for you from going to Bulgaria all the way to college in Idaho? <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting story. I was the first athlete out of Bulgaria to come to the United States on an athletic scholarship. And the circumstances of how I was able to obtain that scholarship are very interesting. Nobody thought that it was possible. You know, my parents made the equivalent of $100 a month and they I knew they weren't going to be able to send me to an American university. When I told my friends I wanted to come to the States, they would all kind of laugh. It seemed like an impossible dream. How would you ever make it happen? But something inside of me kept thinking that there is a way. And so I wrote my dream, which was come to America in a letter to my pen pal from Cyprus. And she sent me a letter back and told me about how in the United States, there are these athletic scholarships. Now that was before the internet. There was very, very little information about the US. And so I started writing letters to American universities, but none of my letters ended up in the right place. They all ended up in general admissions and I never got connected to an opportunity. And then my pen pal from Cyprus sent me another letter back and she said, look at what I found in the trash. Now, she was working at the Volleyball Federation in Cyprus at the time, and leaving work one day, something caught her eye, and she, out of the trash, she pulled out a piece of paper. It turned out to be a recruiting letter from the volleyball coach at the University of Idaho. Now, at the time, I had no idea where the University of Idaho was, but, you know, I didn't care. It was in America. And so I wrote him back as fast as I could and took all the tests that were required, and this is how I became the first athlete to come on an athletic scholarship. It was a letter that was thrown out in the trash, but it was also, I believe, you know, my, my belief of thinking that there is a way somehow, some way and sharing my dream in a letter, you know, with, with somebody that actually could give me that information. And, and I talk about that often in my training is what happens when we share our dreams when we write it down. Um, and what are the possibilities that maybe we open for other people when we are in the pursuit of our dreams of something that's really important to us. Now that paved the way for hundreds and hundreds of other athletes to come and realize the same dream and change their lives and the lives of their families. So then you following on what seems like destiny, what did it feel like to you to be a role model to other athletes, probably not only in Bulgaria, but in other communist nations as well. I believe that those opportunities were possible. And I think once people saw the evidence of that, they started believing it too. And so I think that's really the most important thing is, is realizing that there is something in our dreams. There is something that is begging to be realized, to be manifested. Lena's perseverance taught everyone that as long as you have a dream, there's a way to accomplish that dream, no matter the setbacks you may endure. Despite injuries and playing in foreign lands, James Craig has carved a place for himself in the professional soccer community. What was the most difficult place to play for you? That's a good question. I would say initially Sweden, um, just because of how they, everyone was so good with the long pass, you know? And I, when I first got off the plane, we had a match the next, uh, I think it was the same day. And so 
being a jet lagged, it's about six hour time difference. I remember that. And no matter who had the ball, you had to be prepared for a long ball over the top. But at the same time, you had to be able to defend the ball into the feet of your striker or winger, whomever you were defending. All those factors kind of kind of added up. But it was it was an interesting experience, but a very fun one. Wow, so that's insane. You went from going on a, a long flight to a, a six-hour time difference, and you had to play that same day? What was that like? It was, <laughs> you know, you think you're prepared for it, and then you get on the pitch or you start warming up, and you realize that you don't have your legs about you. I was fortunate enough to come into the second half. So I was able to regather my thoughts, take a seat, take a breather, just really take in the atmosphere before just being thrown onto the pitch. Yeah, I, I think those type of moments are the best kind because I, I enjoy the pressure. I enjoy more than anything else. I just enjoy, I guess, being the underdog, if you will. Was there anything that you learned from when it was just you, the ball, and the wall that you applied to that moment, stepping off the plane in Sweden, getting ready to play on that day? So I'm a firm believer that what you play like you practice. And so I'm really hard on myself. I think I'm one of, if not my biggest critic. And so I try not to take it too easily when I'm out there, like, training so that when I step onto the pitch, it's it's like the same thing. It's like I, I all I did was put on different clothes. And so the calmness and composure aspect, if you will, of just kind of performing in front of the wall, I felt that when I was performing in front of this other team, in front of these, these opposition fans. And so I felt like I was able to really just transition from kid um, in front of a wall in a small town in Virginia to athlete in Sweden, playing in front of fans. James Craig truly built his own career through a passion for what he did, as well as hard work. John Smith Howell, director of Team 7AM, had a similar passion for esports, so he launched his own squad. I need to know, before we go into the decision to, to start Team 7AM, what served as the inspiration for the name? Absolutely nothing other than marketing and business. Like I said before, I've always had a real keen interest in business and I love, uh, love researching, I love business in general and brands. The name, when we sat down, me and three of the founders, uh, Vinny, Yoni and Izzy, and we said, right, okay, let's, let's think of a name. And we did a straw poll online. We, that, that is exactly how it came. Everybody just wrote some random stuff down and then we did a straw poll and then set, Team 7am was on it and we're like, this works. It's, it's short. It's, uh, everybody would know what it, what it is. Um, you know, we thought G2 and, and, and C9. These are all easy, quick words everybody kind of knows. And, and one of our goals was always to have a brand and a name that people could, could remember and go, ah, I know these guys. What was the process like of building an esports organization from the ground up? What went into that? Stress, blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, it was it was tough because we don't you know we started with nothing. We had no money. We don't have an investor. You know, none of us are well enough off to be able to invest a, a huge amount of our own money. We I had left the esports scene for a couple of years. 
to get on with sort of normal day-to-day life. So I'd lost all of my contacts that I'd had from previous esport teams. Um, so I wasn't able to reach out to people that I know and, and maybe start with a new sponsor and go, hey, I'm coming back and I'm going to do this project. Do you want to support it? So we literally started with absolutely nothing. And we were just putting in spare money that where, where we all got it on a payday uh, and we would be then putting money into the organization, paying for the website and you know the domain and the, the, the cost associated with running an organization but we just put time in uh, we were all here seven days a week without fail many many hours thinking working and trying new things not everything worked what was the hardest part about starting the team keeping yourself grounded it's really easy to get a, get ahead of yourself and of course we all want to achieve the best we want to win ultimately we're competitors we're all players or ex-players and we all, we all want to win but we also have to be realistic about what we can achieve and what our brand and business offers other players versus our competitors. And we found ourselves getting frustrated that we couldn't attract the right players. And then we, we but you just have to be realistic as well. What is it? What is our attraction? What actually isn't as attractive as others? So what do we do differently? How do we do things differently? And what else can we do to make it attractive? Which is why we then concentrated so hard on building a community around us rather than taking a choice of one or the other, which is what most organizations do. Now, looking back from your time as a pro player and now managing a full roster of esports athletes, how do you use your experience from being an esports player to being an esports general manager? Um, so my experience of stress, uh, dealing with stress, dealing with scheduling, sleep patterns, sleep's the hardest thing for a gamer because you, you, most people associate gamers for staying up till stupid o'clock in the morning playing games and they're not wrong. That's pretty much what most people do. However, when you are trying to play at a level, you actually do need to have more commitment than that. You can't be up till three, four o'clock in the morning playing and then wake up at four in the afternoon because it doesn't do anything for you. And uh, mental health is really important uh, as well. So I try to leverage my experience and give everybody the knowledge, help them put schedules together, help them deal with stress, help them deal with moments where you just nothing works. It doesn't matter what game it is. You'll go through this slump where you just lose, lose, lose and lose and lose. And a lot of people give up at that point. Then what do you say to the people who are about to give up? How do you keep them going? Well, I think ultimately it's a question they have to ask themselves. What do they really want? What's their end game? Are they here just for fun? Are they here because um, they want to go all the way and be the best that they can be? Uh, Is this just a stopgap between something else in their life, whether that's university or work or whatever it may be? So everyone's answer is different because it depends what they want. If, if somebody wants to go for it and this is the career they want to take, well, then we got to have, we have a different conversation because now that person needs to have the most structured routine out of anybody. They have to grind and work every day without fail because there's a very small percentage of people that actually achieve it. Making your own path like John Smith Howe did is not an easy thing to do, as Emily Rosario would know. A quintessential jack-of-all-trades, Rosario has figured out how to balance holding a career in media with training to be an elite runner on the track. She has truly learned how hard it is to create your own independent career. After you served through those jobs, you went into acting. What has it been like (laughs) moving into acting after like seven and a half years of production work? 
Yeah, no. <laughs> honestly, I honestly never intended on being an actor ever because I've always was so in love with the idea of being able to create and displaying something nobody else can and showing that art art perspective of look what I made, you know, because I've been running for so long and succeeding and learning faster and faster and faster after being laid off from Microsoft eSports too, you know, this is just the harsh reality of those types of jobs. Um, I decided, well, my track career is starting to propel and I feel that being an actor will help increase that success of being an athlete, of being a mom and being able to be a spokesmodel can only help further me into my running career. So my logic was do the acting for the running and the running for the acting because I felt that together I can grow and be the successful person that I want to be. So now shifting your career to kind of that yin and yang perspective where you're running for your acting and you're acting for your running, what has been a highlight for you so far? Right before COVID, you know, I, I, I did like this theater thing where, you know, I had to study a monologue and perform it. And that was like the first time ever within like, the, this was like my first year of like really choosing to do acting. And because of it, I was able to successfully get a manager and an agent within the, like the first year of me really acting. And that was a truly a blessing. Um, soon after, like literally right before COVID hit, I was able to do the Super Bowl commercial. Like people say like, it's so hard to do a Super Bowl commercial. I was literally, that was like literally like my first gig to get um, in, in SAG-AFTRA. And uh, it, the Super Bowl commercial, it was with Facebook and in collaboration to Rocky Balboa. So I was right next to, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Chris Rock, like, you know, punching myself in wow, <laughs> to get that's that role. Awesome. Yeah, man, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> so now with your acting, as you mentioned, you're running at an elite level. How do you balance running with any potential acting jobs you might get? As I said before, it's because, you know, with my family supporting me and my boyfriend supporting me, I'm, I'm able to still follow my dreams because, you know, the reality of it all you're, you're, you're a hired actor, but it's still freelance because you're, you're an actor for like two days with my auditions and my classes, like I'll run in the morning or in the afternoon, depending on the weather, etc. I'll do my run, whether it's on my own or I, ha- I travel one or two, one to two times a week with my uh, team in Jersey. I'm traveling to, to practice, you know, <laughs> I'm traveling to race. And then I'm coming to do my Zoom videos, my acting class videos. A lot of self-tapes are are popular right now because of COVID. So I'm doing my auditions in the hotel, in my apartment, just to make sure I'm doing everything I can to get that next acting job. So it's it's tricky, but it's possible. (laughs) As Emily said, her dream was tricky, but possible. With hard work and dedication to your goals, Anything is possible, as pro volleyball player Max Seneca learned. Although he didn't grow up in a huge volleyball family, he still pursued his dream to the point where he now 
represents his country at the world's biggest volleyball stages. So you were talking earlier about ticking boxes off of your list. I have a feeling that one of them was to play for the Volley Roos, Australia's national volleyball team, and you have earned a spot on that team. What does it mean to you to be able to represent your country? So that happened recently. Yes, I'm currently playing with the Volley Roos in Italy in the Volleyball Nations League or VNL competition. And I'm lost for words, <laughs> to be honest. To be able to, to put your country's flag on your chest and represent 26 million people for Australia or however many we have is, yeah, I can't describe it. It's such an honour and a privilege. Yeah, it, it's a surreal feeling to, to step on that court knowing that other people in that country are, are watching you and supporting you just based on where you're from, you know, and, and they see the flag and the pride that people have when you're overseas representing the US or Australia is it's a big deal and putting volleyball aside yeah just having a jersey like that and walking into the stadium knowing that if someone has never been to Australia before and their first interaction is with you that you have the, the weight of the country on your shoulders so to to represent Australia and Australian people for me is there's there's no greater feeling and no greater honor than putting your country's flag on your chest. You mentioned your close relationship earlier with your family. What was their reaction to you being selected for the national team? Yeah, so you, you have the classic mother reaction of of tears of joy. <laughs> but no, they were they were over the moon for me. They know how hard I've worked and, and sometimes how hard it's been. You know, it's, it's never a, an easy path. And I'm sure pretty much every professional athlete can attest to that notion of sometimes the path to success is a very long and slow journey and it can seem almost impossible. But once you get to that level or once you achieve that goal, my goal being the, the Folly Roos team, yeah, it's, it's a really special moment that you can share with friends, family, anyone. So yeah, it felt amazing and they were really happy for me. As you just heard, some special guests have brought their spirit to the airwaves of the Athletes Obsession. If you're interested in learning from them, please visit their profiles on obsession.com. I'd like to thank Katara Umeda, Lena Taylor, James Craig, John Smith-Howell, Emily Rosario, Max Seneca, and all of the athletes who spent time with me on the Athletes Obsession for not only making time for me with their busy schedules, but also lending their unique talents and voices to the Obsessed platform.